This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufal and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal, joined today by Steve Mareska and Rob McWilliams. Uh, Rob recently joined, talking a little bit about some data breach and uh, data incident work. Uh, joining again today to talk about the new Connecticut data privacy law that's due to, uh, I think, due to go to effect July of 2023, if I recall. Uh, July the 1st, July the 1st. So welcome, Rob. Thanks for joining again. I appreciate it. Not at all. Uh, thank you. So, yeah, I mean, if you can, let's let's start talking a little bit about this. I think Connecticut is the, what, the fifth state that now has an official data privacy law in, in place? Yes, Um I believe that is the count. Um, so it comes after California, which so often uh, leads the way and has done with uh, comprehensive data privacy laws. Um, it comes after Colorado, Virginia, and Utah. And then, um, so we're, we're number five. I say we because we're here in uh, uh, close to Hartford. Um, and it does take effect on July the 21st, sorry, July the 1st, 2023. So so what does it mean for everybody, right? It, 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 everybody in the state, I assume, businesses primarily in the state. Uh, how does it impact them? What do they have to start thinking about? Great question. Um, it's come to be called the Connecticut Data Privacy Act, but the, the more long-winded title, uh, the one that you'll find in the legal documents, is an act concerning personal data privacy and online monitoring. And I think that online monitoring is fairly key, uh, as, as we'll see, because this act um, is scoped very precisely, and it certainly is not going to pl apply to every business in Connecticut. Um, it's um, not going to apply to the ma and pop pizza shop down the road, for example. Um, so there are two broad types of organization that it will apply to um, at a high level. Um, one is um, businesses that do business in Connecticut. Um, the other one are businesses that sell products or services to Connecticut residents. So you don't have to be um, incorporated in Connecticut or have a physical office in Connecticut. If you're outside the state, but you're selling to Connecticut consumers, um, this act will apply to you too. Um, and there's also a size threshold. And this is why I was talking about the, the ma and pop shop. Um, you basically have to, your organization basically has to either um, handle the personal data of 100,000 consumers, and that excludes for the purpose of completing payment transactions. Um, or um, you have to handle the personal data of 25,000 consumers and derive more than 25% of your revenue from sales of personal data. So to sort of interpret that, the first threshold um, means that small, even and medium-sized businesses um, will probably not be caught by this act. Um, 100,000 consumers, that's Connecticut consumers, not, not worldwide consumers, 
uh, it's quite a high number. Is that volume um, on a yearly basis, overall time? How does that apply? It's over the pre. It's in the previous year. So okay. if in the year to date you've handled the personal data of more than a hundred thousand Connecticut consumers, then the act and you do business in Connecticut, etc., then the act will hit you. Um, the second one, the twenty-five thousand consumers, but deriving more than 25% of your revenues from sales of personal data is intended to bring under the law businesses that are very personal information centric, for whom personal information is in fact part of their business. Yeah, the 25% is an interesting number I've been trying to think through, because 25,000 actually doesn't seem that high for the consumers, but then... uh, and derived over 25% of gross revenue, uh, that that could be a totally different number, ultimately. It could. It's worth remembering, and we'll come to this, is that the definition of a sale of personal data is is very broad. Most of us will think of a sale as something that sometimes when something is handed over and cash is given in return. Um, these, These laws, including Connecticut's, define it much more broadly. It's basically sharing personal information for money or for some other valuable thing. So it will, if, for example, you are a retailer and you um, disclose the personal information of consumers who come to your website to other businesses for some advantage, that's a sale. Mm, Okay. So lose. Okay. Um. Just to continue the theme of sort of the actual scope of the law, um, there's a whole raft of entities that this does not apply to. So state and local government entities, for example. So this does not concern K through 12 schools. Um, It it doesn't doesn't bring in the DMV or anything like that. Um, Non-profits, not part of it. Um, higher education institutions, not part of it. Higher uh, education, public and private. Ju- or, yeah. Yep. I okay. Believe, yep. Um, financial institutions that are subject to the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act. That's most of them. Uh, um, and organizations that are subject to HIPAA. So covered entities and business associates. So that's a lot of organizations that will not be. And that's, um, and finally, perhaps the last big one is it doesn't cover personal data of people acting in an employment capacity. So if, if basically, if you are a business to business organization um, and you collect the personal data of your business contacts, the law doesn't cover that. It, it really does cover what we would call B2C, business to consumer stuff. So there's a lot of exclusions there. Um, and as if that weren't enough, uh, well, we've mentioned education, but but data that's covered by FERPA the, the, is excluded from. So, so, but, so ultimately, it feels like this is intended to bridge the gap where there isn't an existing privacy law in place, right? So, you know, HIPAA exists to protect information. Uh, so they've excluded it from this 
because there's already legislation in place for it. I mean, it, that's what it feels like you're outlining. So I want to make it clear it's not that they are looking to exclude businesses, but necessarily probably more so cover those that have been excluded to date. I think that's a, that's a pretty good way of, of putting it. And if you remember at the beginning, I, I stressed that official name of the act, which is an act concerning personal data privacy and online monitoring. It's very focused on the online world um, and the sort of um, digital trading of digital information, the digital economy, if, if you like. It's very focused on, on that part. Um, that said, it's going to hit, I, I don't want to make it sound as if uh, there are, this applies to practically nobody. Because that's, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, I think retail organizations, for example, will be, this will be a big deal for them. They're, they're very in, increasingly collecting and sharing personal data is, is a very big part of the retail business. If um, The whole internet advertising ecosystem, online publishers, so people, you know, anyone who publishes a website that attracts a lot of visitors and then they monetize that data from that website will be covered by it. Um, ad tech, data brokers, um, I think it could well bring in a lot of the recreation, entertainment, hospitality industries. And then the whole industries around personal services, apps, um, you know, games, dating, fitness, health, all of that stuff will be come under this. Um, education technology providers, even, even if the educational institutions themselves are not directly affected by this law, organizations that sell technology services and solutions to them will and collect personal data as part of that will be. So I have a question on this because <clears throat> I think that I have, a, I have an intuition that some organizations consider their customer base to be smaller than the thresholds that you referenced. But I do wonder if merely the act of performing advertising that is in any way monitoring uh, click-throughs or impressions made might be sufficient to push them over that threshold. Absolutely correct. Okay. The California, for example, has a similar um, threshold. You have to collect the personal data of a certain number of people to, to, to reach the threshold for the California laws. But the point has been made um, that simply having a website that has 100,000 or 50,000, whatever it is, unique visitors a year takes you to that threshold. So, uh, so Rob, what, what what rights are afforded your everyday average Connecticut consumer as part of this privacy law? Okay, um, that's great. That brings me right on to the obligations for those considerable number of businesses that will be covered by this law. The first thing is, is that the consumers, the, the people whose data you are collecting and using, um, have certain rights under the law. And these are now pretty standard across U.S. and international privacy laws. Um, you have the right to get confirmation from that business um, about whether or not they collect personal information about you. Um, and if they do, you have a right to um, access that data. Say, okay, 
show me the data that you collect about me. Um, you have the right to correct that data. Uh, you have the right to have that data, that data deleted. Um, now, in some privacy laws, the only data that you can ask to have deleted is the data that you have provided to that organization. The Connecticut law goes further and allows you to request deletion of data that you have provided, but also data they've obtained about you from elsewhere. Um, and in, you have the right in some circumstances to what's called portability, which means that um, you can ask for the data in a standard format so you can take it somewhere else um, and move more easily from one uh, business to another, one vendor to another. Um, finally, a very important um, right is that you have the right to opt out of your data being used for targeted advertising, sale, and what is called profiling for automated decisions. This is going to be a big thing in the future, where so much of so many decisions that might affect us, including negatively, um, are made with our personal data by machines, and sometimes we don't even know that it's happening. Um, you know, you ask for credit and you get declined. Uh, you apply for a job and you don't even get an interview. Sometimes that's done in a completely automated fashion without human intervention. Um, this gives you the right to say, I effectively want a human to be involved in this. Um, the other very important part of the, the, the rights is, is effectively the right to information. And, and that's where the famous privacy policy comes in. Now, privacy policy, or, or as privacy people prefer to call them privacy notices, um, you know, they're, they're kind of notorious for being incredibly difficult to read um, and for not being read by consumers. But they are nevertheless important for organizations to put out there exactly what they do with your personal information. Um, and this law um, has quite a long list of um, information that has to be in a privacy notice. So if, if you're a Connecticut business or a business that sells into Connecticut, uh, you have to have a privacy notice available to consumers, basically describing what you do with the personal data that gets collected. Um, and it has to be in reasonably plain English. It can't be in incomprehensible legalese. Um, there are many other, quite a lot of other obligations. I'll just pick out a few at, at random. Um, you have to your organization will have to establish, implement, and maintain reasonable security measures. Um, you know, and obviously that depends on the kind of personal data you collect. If it's sensitive personal data, then your security measures will have to be better. Uh, the uh, sensitive data, perhaps at this point I should say, um, includes in all circumstances the data of somebody under 18 years of age so there's stuff here in, in, in here for kids as well yeah it was just great uh, and and i don't is that in every do you i don't know if you know in the other four privacy laws is there a minor clause like that there's certainly different treatment for children in california uh, to the point that you you can't collect their personal data 
information for sale, that broadly defined sale, uh, without the parent's active consent in California. And obviously we have, at the federal level, we have copper, but that only applies to children under 13, so really small children. Uh, this is, as I mentioned, this includes under 18, so there's more protections there for, for kids, which is becoming a very hot topic generally. Yeah, and, and we've seen right uh, data held uh, that was you know, minors' data that was held long enough to become non-minors' data, then sold later, right, by criminals. So, so it, it's great to see some of these these things in an act like this. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you cannot, in in fact, is a general stipulation in the Connecticut law that you may not process sensitive data. Um, about a consumer without getting their consent. And that consent has to be something proactive. It can't be the famous um, pre-checked box that uh, we see in so many places. <laughs> and if you don't uncheck it, you're considered to have... The, 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 the end-user license agreement, everyone breezes right past. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, can't be there. You don't read every one of those <laughs> in totality? <laughs> so that's how I get to sleep at night. <laughs> um, and of course, the, 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 if a consumer submits a, a data rights request to you, you have to respond to it. Uh, you can't just decide not to. Um, and it, there's a certain amount of wiggle room, but it, the general statement in the Connecticut law is without undue delay, but certainly within 45 days after receiving the request, you, you have to respond to it in some way. So on an adjacent subject, if there's a violation to be found, what, what is the responsibility of an organization? Is there a cure requirement and what does that look like? Um, excellent point. Again, there is something, I'll just I'll keep it at a high level, that there is a, the organization has a right to cure meaning that the, the violation, if cured, will not, they will not be enforced against for it. But that right to cure is going to expire quite quickly in the act. It, I think it's a... It's a it, grace period it's, for it's, implementation? It is. It, it is. I see. It's exactly that. And it, it, so it, it's, it's a way of helping businesses get used to having the act, but it's not going to last forever. So, I mean, I'll enjoy, so I have the luxury while you're uh, talking with Steve to look. So it's actually 60 days of a right to cure that expires December 31st of 24. So there is a period of time where if there's a violation that's identified, you know, and, and it's, and it's a, assumed to be addressable by the attorney general, they'll give you that 60 days to deal with it. Uh, but if it's you know, significant enough or egregious enough, they may actually just simply waive that and uh, uh, and you don't have those 60 days. So there is there is a right to cure period in there. Okay, good. So I was directionally correct. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Delighted. So we've got this act going into effect 2023. Uh, it, it sounds like it addresses gaps that existed across a whole variety of other uh, sort of privacy laws that existed already. Uh, it's nice to see Connecticut uh, kind of on the forefront of this. Um, Maybe we reach a point where there's 50 of these, just like there are uh, some of the breach notification requirements. But uh, and, and and ultimately, probably a federal law, right? Like 
like you know GDPR and some others. But um, it'll be interesting to see this go into place. I think uh, there probably won't be, I, I, I would assume, immediate fallout, but certainly in some of the places where that, I don't know if you use the term exactly, you know, right to be forgotten, but the ability to sort of transport your data and have your data deleted, uh, that, that, that'll that be cumbersome and onerous for companies that have maybe set it aside a little bit with GDPR, but now have to really start thinking about it uh, for us. Um, but, uh, Rob, I appreciate you joining again. I appreciate you, you spending some time sort of educating everybody on uh, the State of Privacy Act. Uh, of course, if everybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We'll answer whatever questions we can, uh, probably get a little clearer post-July uh, of 23. Uh, and as always, we hope you got value out of this podcast, uh, learned a little bit of something, uh, and appreciate you listening. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to get in touch at Vancord on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Vancord Security. And remember, stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.